Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Liberty Squadron Podcast. My name is Andrew Lewinsky, and this week I am joined with Brett Freeman. Hey everyone. Jonathan Lee. Hello everybody. And Chance Crawford. Hello, hello. So, alright, we have a little bit of news. We had a 164 player tournament happen. Uh, this is over TTS, correct? Um, I to watch it. And we had a little bit more of the Silencer and FO Bombers. Not Silencer, it is the Tide Whisper. Whisper. Um, spoilers coming out, so we can talk about them. We can talk about uh, stuff that's coming up in the future and all the fun stuff that we have to talk about. You've got some awesome resistance, my way, dials, and all this fun stuff, but um, right off the bat, we had a two-ship list win the 164-player tournament. It was Kylo and Bonrag, followed by four HMPs, which is kind of interesting. Um, right, right before we were um, hit record, we were kind of talking about where, like, I'm this... I was a little concerned that, like, you know, because it was, what, 48 to 0? Was that actually the final score? That was the final score, yeah. Which, I mean, I I, I, I don't know. If, if, when you hear something like that, it's almost like we were had all these talks of uh, fortressing over the past couple weeks and everything like that. And, like, my first concern was, was this, like, actually fortressing? Mm-hmm. Like, even if there was... Um, I don't know, like, if he was running away, like, if it was mobile fortressing or anything like that, like, uh, I don't know. But then at the same time, it's kind of like, how do you arc dodge all those gunship arcs? Like, uh, it's, I think at the same time, it might be kind of hard. Did anyone get to actually watch the final? So I watched about half of the final, I would say, uh, the beginning and the end. And, uh, I mean, the Kylo and Von Reg player was playing extremely smart. There were six gas clouds out there, so he had a lot of places to hide. Um, and the uh, HMP player kind of uh, was trying to be very um, conservative, I guess I'd say, with the, the position game. And uh, was kind of just allowing uh, you know, Kylo to take these, these pot shots, um, which were, were torpedoes. So, you know, pot shot might be a, a, a misnomer there, but... Uh, it, it seemed like uh, neither player was really trying to, to fortress necessarily. It was just one of those games where uh, everyone was playing very defensively, which honestly I think are, are fun games to watch. So I wasn't, uh, for instance, bored with it or anything. I, I would rather see something like this than a bunch of people just, you know, honorably joust each other. Sure. Um yeah, like I said, at first glance, like with a score like that, like it had me a little concerned because, like, I, I know when fortressing, I, I guess, like when when you see it, like as far as you know, it's really easy to identify when it is, uh, you know, a ship in a corner. But when you got moving parts around it, I, I guess it's a little bit hard to identify. But I, I think at the same time, it can still be abused. But um, yeah, I, I guess at the same time, if you are positioning it, it is one thing. It might come down to who just has the better dice rolls um, when you do get those shots off. Now, what I thought actually oh. made a big difference was how um, all the Galaxy events and all GSP events in general, they only have 75-minute finals instead of two-hour finals. 
Um, so they keep it like the regular length of a game. And in addition, they have this rule as far as dials go, and I guess it's just being in the planning phase is not enough to get that one last round. Uh, because here, the uh, the HMP player had finally gotten Von Reg in kind of a precarious position. Um, they went to dials with like nine seconds left, and that was the end of the match. So in person, huh? that nine seconds, uh, he, he finally had all three of his ships in a, a trajectory where they could probably have caught Von Reg and gotten some shots. Now, they would have had to completely kill him in order to, to win, and that's unlikely to have happened, but uh, losing out on that turn was kind of really rough for that, that player, and just not having the extra time that you would get in a you know a traditional two-hour final may have also uh, played a part as far as that goes. So they called the game at, like, was it two hours even? No, so 75 minutes, because they, they don't have two-hour finals oh. there. And uh, I guess the, the rule is you need to actually be in the activation phase to get another round, not simply the planning phase. Whose rule is that? Uh, a GSP rule. Uh, that's, so it's, I you know, that. yeah, it's an <laughs> online tournament thing. And some people like online tournaments, some people don't. I'm hoping Chance is going to give his opinion. Um, but... Uh, that's one big difference from in-person play. So, Brett, what happens if one player has all their dials down, but the other person doesn't? Uh, I I honestly don't know. I've only played in one of those events, but my understanding is that you need to actually be in the planning phase. It's just not... A, I'm sorry, the activation phase It's not enough to be in planning, and I think, uh, especially in a game like that where you know the, the marshal's watching the game, if that had been a concern, that would have been brought up, but... I mean, they give out penalty points left and right at these events for for uh, slow playing and uh, particularly at the end of the match. So it seems like uh, being quick is sometimes more important for them than being able to take the, the full deliberation time. Um. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's kind of silly, especially on the final. I, I mean, but I, I mean, this is a sanctioned event of... You know, not like an official event. So, I mean, I guess that may, it's the rules. You can't, you know, complain about it. But I I don't know. That, that, like I said, that's just a personal preference of mine. I mean, um, yeah. When a game, well, I was going to say, like when a game is 120, it's a very different game at 120 minutes versus 75. So I think it's reasonable. But Right. And that's why they say they don't want to do it. Like, why change it up for the final? And that, that does make sense. But, um, I mean, part of the, the, you know, strategy in competitive X-Wing is also figuring out a list that is not going to just tank in a, a final that's two hours, right? You have to take that into consideration, where here, that's something that doesn't need to be considered. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's, uh, so, yeah, I, I guess that may be, like, the... You're you're getting more turns in, but even still, like I think as soon as you hit that planning phase, you, you gotta play that round out. But uh, like I said again, that is something that is just off of the um, you know this, this is their tournament, and you know it's not even like it's an official X Wing thing. So I, I guess I can't really say much about it. Um, but let's move on from there. Um, what did we gather as far as you know list submissions and stuff like that? I heard there was a lot of Zam there. Yes. Um, there wasn't an overwhelming majority of Zam. Out of 164 players, I think there was 35 instances of Zam. So 
a decent amount, and I mean, Scum did have the most uh, total lists submitted out of all of the factions, um, but they also had the second lowest cut percentage as well. Um, so how many Zams I mean, did you say? Uh, 35 total. Now, that also includes CIS. Right, and there was I just... 54 CIS and Scum lists. So, like, yeah. well over two-thirds, I'm thinking. I don't know. Math is hard right now. Um, <laughs> oh, 64%. Okay, so about two-thirds of the eligible lists had Zam in them. Yeah. So it's still a, a pretty pretty decent amount. I, I was surprised at how little Zam there was in the uh, like top 32. Um, I think there was only one or two uh, Zam lists that actually made it to the end, which was a surprise comparative to most events we've been seeing where the top cut is pretty much all uh, Zam lists for the most part. Um, like uh, the Lone Star Open as an example, where it was just Zam uh, double fire sprays and Bosks all over. Yeah, it is interesting. I wonder why there was such a big drop-off there. So I, so as you mentioned, I have some some spicy takes on uh on these online events. Just uh, looking at the list fortress, looking at the list, seeing what won it, seeing what made cut and whatnot. It's I I still think a lot of it is people want to have fun. People fly lists that they wouldn't necessarily want to fly in person. Uh, lots, like, the there's a, what is it, one, two, three, seven Sinar Specialists with dorsal turrets. That does not sound like a fun list to fly in person. And a lot of, uh, there was a substantial amount of, um, uh, Z and SFs and, uh, FO, uh, lists. Way more than I've ever really seen before. Um, so I think that might have, uh, another piece to do with it as well. But just some of the lists in general... This is more coming from me being a First Order player. Some of the First Order lists I saw that made cut really surprised me. So partially props to the people flying them. But in in my mind, they are sub. Uh, some of them are more subpar First Order lists that were still able to, to go the distance. Yeah, nine making cut is pretty impressive when only 18 First Order lists... Yeah, a fifty percent cut rate doesn't happen with first order. This isn't old. This isn't uh, Jedi when they first came out. Just leave Jedi alone, man. No, never. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget Nova. So I gotta say, I would just think from stepping back and and picturing myself, I would be more likely to take like a janky kind of fun list to a tournament with people I actually know and, and my friends than I would be to an online event where I might be, you know, dealing with some uncomfortable, you know, situations. So I, I think I might view that a little differently than, than you are as to where would I want to fly these, you know, joke kind of lists. And while I, I do agree with you, like, to more to my point, I look at, so Rebel, Rebel and Empire were both at 32 lists total. They were dead even with each other. Uh, Empire had five lists made cut. Rebel only had two. Um, and the two Rebel lists that made cut look like, I don't want to call them subpar, but not fully optimized versions of the uh, 
uh, our focus token of, uh, you know, Hera, Garvin, the rebel and uh, usually, yes, rebel socialism. Um, but there's two, the two rebelists that made cut were that, and they both look like not the greatest versions of those given lists. Um, so I, I just look at stuff like that, and that's part of what what gives me my opinion of the the some of the lists showing up here just don't seem to be, and some of those making cut don't seem to be the best versions of those that those factions have to represent with. Yeah, the uh, one of them at least had vectored cannons on Hera, yes. which is something you don't see very often. Otherwise, besides that, I, I think it's a pretty standard, um, you know, one of those rebel sharing lists. Uh, the other one, though, had a an E-wing in there, I think, so I agree that's kind of not what you see. Um, but one thing that was consistent was uh, Hera was basically in about half of the rebel lists, which is what we generally see throughout these tournaments. So Hera yeah. is still a big force. Yeah, definitely. Um, and for Republic, they pretty much seem to have uh, completely abandoned everything that isn't a Jedi for the most part. It's pretty much all just Edda's, uh a couple uh, Delta and CLT Jedi. And I think there were a few um, like arcs out there, but it was pretty much just all mostly trip Jedi lists that actually made cut for uh, Republic. I think there was at least one Warthog, if I remember correctly. Was Alright, so a uh, question. Was this a, like, open tournament that anyone could join, or was it, like... Yep. Yes, because this was, this was a qualifier. Right. So, yeah, this was an open... It's extended, too. So... Gotcha. Um, and I will say, like... While I don't have the greatest opinion on online tournaments, it's not that I don't think they should exist. Uh, I think it is awesome that they hold these. It lets people from all around the world play and get to play against people you probably would never be able to play against otherwise, except maybe at an event like Worlds, which is not a realistic uh, thing for everyone to be able to go to if and when that ever even happens again. Um, but just... I. From my personal perspective, watching all of these Galaxies tournaments, watching the lists that win them and everything, it just feels like something's off in in comparison. And even lo the Lone Star Open kind of uh, almost feels like it reinforced it a little bit. I'm really interested to see what shows up at uh, at LVO, especially because um, when when is LVO again? In January. Uh, January. January. So there'll be more new content out by then, too. And potentially, uh, or not potentially, there'll be a points change by then, too. So I'm really interested to see what shows up at uh, at LVO. And there's actually another one, I think, between uh, now and LVO. Um, like the SoCal Open, I think, is being put on by Frontline Games. And they also are going to have an X-Wing event there. Okay. So, more in-person X-Wing coming up. Um, and yeah, I guess we'll see. Like, So why do you think the, the Lone Star lists were, were that much better? I just see, well, so I, I, saw, I felt like I saw more optimization. Um, a lot, I'll admit, a lot of the lists kind of, you saw very much the same thing. There wasn't too much deviation between a lot of the, you know, uh, Django Zam or 
like Bosk, Tarok, and uh, a third ship. Um, so it it it, it kind of shows that not not the meta is solved, but that people are are starting to figure out exactly what those top lists look like. Then you go to these Jetta qualifiers, and the the top cut is completely different. And I feel like almost all of these lists are lists that would have a hard time going up against uh, a Bosk list, for example. Like, uh, there's a, one of the resistance lists that made cut was Kovanel, uh, Noden, which is in the resistance transport, which we haven't seen in a while, uh, Noden Chavri on the, in the X-Wing, Finn and Nimi Shireen in an X-Wing. So a transport, two X-Wings, and a pod. Um, which is the opposite of what we've been seeing. And normally you see five ship uh, resistance has been the, the popular thing lately. Uh, so I, I, I don't know what to take from it. Okay, that's that's definitely a weird one. And I don't even know what two of those ships do. So that just exactly. shows, you know, kind of how, uh, you know, off the beam and like path I... they are. But uh, one thing I can say about online X-Wing is you don't see a bunch of people fortressing in a corner. Also <laughs> true. I, I, yeah, sure. Um, I, 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 I'd rather watch in person. I'd rather play in person. Uh, but yeah, I, I also do down. like, like, I mean, you and I talk about most of these events. Like, it's it's nice that they have this content that otherwise would not be there. Yeah, I guess, like I said, it's not that I don't want these to happen. I just think some of the, the data and information from them isn't as useful as the in-person events. That's that's my perspective on it. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, I feel like... I mean, I definitely think that a lot of, like... They are... They, they don't give you good information. Not information, but they don't give you good data. Um, and, like... Okay, so, like, this is something that I've kind of been thinking about a lot lately. And, um... It's crazy that I'm sitting here thinking that I, I, I spend all this time thinking about X-Wing, but it's, um, I, I don't know. Like, I have this, like, perspective now of, like, I think it's good to know the meta, but I think it's also bad to play the meta. And, and like, it, when we don't have, like, those things um popping up, it, like, you see things like Kylo and Von Reg start to perform and, and i do think that's a, a very good thing for the game um but it's also kind of like at the same time what is it about the online x-wing that we don't see that and as opposed to um in-person x-wing like when in person we saw how many bosks um where i never would have thought that like so again one star like Kylo and Von Reg would actually win. Um, where, like, I, I'm more, like, on the boat of, I want to know the meta, but I want to know what to also stay away from. And, like, maybe I'm not getting that information from online X-Wing and, and these tournaments, because it might not be something that people want to fly around for standing up for an entire day for six, seven rounds and do those crazy things. But I also think at the same time, it's good information because, you know, these are the things that you might run into during the day that uh, you still maybe have to figure out. Uh, I, I really think that my biggest takeaway from all this is 
um, knowing the meta and really kind of like learning your list as opposed to everybody else knowing your list, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, like, I mean, like, yeah. Oh, what I was say, it's like online X-Wing and real life X-Wing are related, but they're different. It's like you wouldn't expect the world's best player at Madden to be the best football player in the world. Like, they're just different games. I mean, they're related, but they are different. I think another thing of it, I I think another thing of it might be, and again, I I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm taking away from the people that performed well in this, because I probably wouldn't have won it. So what do I have to say? But I just feel like when when you're going to an in-person event, especially a big one, like on the same rough level of this, like LVO or LSO, you're driving out there, you know, you're you're paying for food and gas and all this. That it always feels like there's, for lack of a better term, a little bit more on the line because you've kind of put more into getting there and actually playing. Um, versus when you play in an online tournament, you just you know wake up, sit in front of your computer for six rounds, and then do whatever. Right. There's there's less buy in and less commitment. So especially people like me who are super competitive, if I'm putting in all that effort to go to a like a big in-person tournament, I'm going to put in the max amount of effort to to perform while I'm do while I'm there. Yeah, there is definitely not as much skin in the game. Right, and, and that's like I said, that makes a really good point. Like, um, like I said, like I, I, I hit like this level of like I want to play the game to have fun on every level, and like whether that be a competitive thing. Uh, I think one of the things that I'm kind of stressing is that like um, I'm not concerned about like metas anymore or anything like that. Like I said, I, I'm understanding that like I should know the meta and everything like that, and um. But I think at the same time, I think part of fun, the fun of the game is, you know, list building and, like, seeing different lists perform and, like, understanding things. And I, I do think that's a good takeaway from these online tournaments um, that you might not see at these big opens that um, you see, like, 20 of the same lists. I mean, like, like the, for example, the list that I took the Worlds, there, you know, how many people were in Worlds, and it was like, I saw maybe like a dozen of the same list that I brought. So it was kind of like, sure, that's cool and everything. Uh, but I mean, at the same time, people are aware of it. And I'm not saying that, you know, you should, you should bring this super ultra rare list that only you have figured out. But I think um, it's good to see some diversity in, in the game uh, with these system or these online things that um, ever the same things perform well. Yeah, like that, was, that was, I think, the the part about LSO that I was most disappointed about was just how much of the lists were kind of like carbon copies of each other, where here there's right. a lot more variety. Right, and, and it's kind of funny because it's almost like, um, like, sure, you're going to have like a lot of the good players playing similar lists and all that fun stuff, but I also think that, like, you see these crazy lists kind of do pop up uh, in these big tournaments that, like, you know, then honestly, like, okay, look at Ollie's list and Dan Taylor's list. They're probably, I mean, there might have been some similarities, but there probably wasn't, like, any kind of carbon copies between the two of them, like, right? Like, I think Dan Taylor's list is pretty unique. Um, 
You were so close to predicting the world champion. So close. uh, So you know, you know, I I can only I can only do so much. (laughs) But um, like like I said, I I mean like I enjoy the diversity that All Night Next Week gave us, and I'm going to miss that because obviously the one big event in person event that we saw, you know, it was a little disappointing seeing this. So um, it's it's okay. It's. I think um, we'll eventually get back to exactly where we were before the pandemic happened, and um, I, I think it's starting to not wind down a lot because I mean we still got a little bit to go, and uh, but they are definitely two different ball games, and um, and I guess that's my biggest takeaway from from like going from the online X-Wing world to the um, back to the real real life. X-wing, at least on a prof- not professional, I should say, but on a uh, a tournament player's perspective. That all makes sense. Well, um, anything else you want to discuss? Discuss about tournaments or? Uh... Well, I kind of want to touch on something Chance said, but it's going to take us just completely off track. But um, yeah. So there was a post on uh, the Fly Better Facebook page. I think it was within the last week or so talking about um, how we shouldn't be judging people who uh, take tournaments like, you know, very seriously, because as X-Wing players, we've all sort of bought into the, the, the game. We all love it and we all spend, you know, far more time thinking about it and, and playing it than we probably should. Um, so this, uh, this poster was saying, you know what, we shouldn't like, we should just recognize that for some people, like, this is like our Olympics, right? Like, yeah, none of us are Olympic athletes, but we all prepare hard for this. It's important to us. We want to do well, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to do well and being upset when you don't do well or being happy when you do. And it was kind of trying to to destigmatize, um, you know, the actual competitive scene. There's always the, you know, uh, you know any other tournament crowd or... Um, you know, just just always fly casual type attitude. And this person was saying, you know, I, I think that those types of comments are are negative to the tournament players because this is so important to us. And it kind of sounded like, Chance, what you were saying was, was something similar, right? Like, I'm a very competitive person. I go to these events. I, I make kind of an investment to go to them. And I, I really want to do well. Um, and I just yeah, feel like no, ultimately just... or openly saying, like, this is important to me and I want to do well is almost frowned upon and I don't think it should be, but I, I wanted to know what other people said or thought. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that sentiment. And I, and I, I do get the other side of the coin too, that some people do just want to go there, fly the list of ships that they think look cool or pilots that they like from books or whatever, and just have fun. But I'm also just in everything. I'm a super competitive person. So when I have a tournament coming up, I'm practicing, I'm testing lists, I'm, you know, trying to figure out what I might end up having to fly against and what I need to be ready for. And then you you go there and, you know, I put 110% in because I want to do as well as I possibly can. If I, if I don't do as well as I can, I end up disappointing myself um, because it's my fault. But uh, yeah, no, there there is definitely a stigma that can be a, a bit of a problem um, with that. And it really shouldn't be uh, an issue. There really should be room for both sides 
of the of the game. Um, yeah. Uh, I. I... <clears throat> Do you want to go ahead first, Sean? <laughs> no, no, you uh, you could go. Andrew. Okay, no, I I I kind of agree with you. Like I, I know um I hear both sides too. Um, I, I hear people say tournament days are too long that they should be broken up, and uh, I I don't believe that. I also think that um I, you hear that you know fly casual and stuff like that, but I I think yeah I do get that um. Like, this is almost like our Olympics. Like, these big events, like, you know, they're almost like qualifiers to the Olympics. Like, and it's it's very hard because, like, I, I try to be the, you know, uh, most fair player. Like, if, you, if you're if you ever kind of like, oh, I forgot to do this and it's kind of something that's, like, you know, it should be understood. I'm all for it. Um, but uh, there's also times that it's kind of like, you know, I, I am playing at the top of my level, and there's been times where I uh, have fucked up, for lack of a better term, and, um, you know, I, it's almost like I don't expect my opponent to give me that slack back. And I, I think on certain level events, I would agree that, you know, you should be playing at that level, Um and, you know, if your opponent disagrees with you or they feel like, you know, they're there to have fun or stuff like that, like, and don't get me wrong, you know, I, I know fun comes on a bunch of different levels and, and I feel like, um, to me, that competitiveness, that level of play is fun. Um, I also enjoy going to kit tournaments and throwing something completely wacky on the table and stuff like that. Like I have, there, there are two different definitions to me. Um, so when, when I, I, I go to these high level events, I kind of expect the most out of myself and the most out of my opponent. Um, now, don't get me wrong. There's been instances where I feel like I've been cheated or not been cheated, but like I cheated myself out of things by like messing up. Um, there's been times that like my opponents messed up, and it's, it's a hard decision. Like, you know, do you want to be that person that's like, oh, you can take that back or everything like that that you messed up or anything like that, or do you want to be the guy that's like, well, I'm also in that same boat as you? And, and like, it's a really hard decision because it's kind of like you, you're both on the same level and, and it's 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 a real fine line i think um i know i'm probably delving into something a little bit different but uh like i said at the same time i really think that like i have fun at that competitive level and um don't get me wrong there are people that have blast at the bottom you know the, for lack of a better term salt mines um at these tournaments but i also feel like at the same time you shouldn't be mixing players that are there for that competitiveness, um, for that level of play. That they, you know, they should be at the top of their game. And it's kind of like when we had FFG rules and everything like that. And when they describe these tournaments, they like literally say in the rules that like you're expected to know all the cards, you're expected to know all the rules and all this stuff. And it's kind of like, um, <clears throat> I, I feel like. 
you know, like I said, that's what I have fun doing. And like when I go to these tournaments, that's what I expect and, you know, want to, you know, experience. Where, like I said, as I know, it's someone else could be getting something completely else out of this. So, I mean, what I would say is there is a difference between competitive competitiveness and desire to win. And, and this is a loaded term, so in quotation marks, sportsmanship. So it's different. So like you may really want to win, but your approach to the rules may be different or your casualness might be different, you know? So as an example, this is a long time ago, but at Gen Con years and years ago, Rick Sidebotham played Jeff Burling in the final and Jeff Burling, um, he's famous for, he coined the term, you know, sometimes good X-wing, high level X-wing looks like low level X-wing, but, uh, he like gave Rick Sidebottom made a mistake, like a really like a big mistake. And it was like he just forgot a trigger. He forgot something that was obvious and Rick gave it back. He's like, Oh, of course your whisper would have cloaked, you know, and gave it back. And then Rick and then uh, Jeff lost. But um so there's a difference, I think, between competitiveness and adherence and like quote sportsmanship. And I think there's nothing wrong in a tournament and in tournament rules to be like, hey, we're gonna strictly follow these rules. That's fine, you know? Um, so, but I think that's different from like competitiveness and jank and having fun. Like that's a, they're two different axes. Um, in like being relaxed or strict with rules, that's really personal. It's very personal. I think you can't, it's unreasonable to expect a, someone else to be like you. So sometimes people will use the term fly casual as like a cudgel to be like, hey man, fly casual, let me take that back. And that's that's not the way Doug Kinney meant it. You know, it's just like, don't be a, like an asshole. It's like his idea of being fly, of flying casual. But like sometimes, so you shouldn't use fly casual as in like, hey, you shouldn't do that, fly casual. Like it's not meant to be a cudgel to hit other people with. Um, at the same time, like I think if you hold yourself to a high standard or if you play a strict game, that's fine. But like, I'm totally of an opinion, I'm pretty casual, but I'm totally of the opinion of like, if, all right, so like as an example, like some people let their kids win games and other people will never let their kids win. And I don't mean like X-Wing, I mean just like in life, like whatever game you're playing. Cause like you could very validly say I'm teaching them a life lesson or you could be like, no, I want my kid to have fun. I'm gonna let them win. And it's two different approaches to parenting and either is valid. Uh, I feel like internal consistency is important. And I'm like, if I do, if I feel this is the way I should do something I'm gonna do it at all levels, you know? It's just like, I'm going to stay consistent to my own internal moral compass. And that's not a judgment on other people. I just mean like, it's very easy to be relaxed at kit night, but to do that at worlds, that's hard. And like, I don't know. It's like, it's easy to, to, to post anti-Nazi things on Facebook. It's another thing to hide Anne Frank in your attic for three years, you know? So I think like when stakes are high, that's when, you should do what you feel is true. I don't know. And I don't know, that's just me. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, 
like I said, I mean, I mean, it's it, it, it's hard because it's like, um, for like, so me personally, like, I hold myself to a very high standard. Like, let's say I mess up a dial and I fly, and it's happened. I've flown a ship off the board, and you know, it's something that like I would never ask my opponent in a million years to uh, be like, oh, I'm, you know, such a klutz, you know, we're in a system open and I messed this up, can I take it back? Um, but then when it happens to you, it's like, you know, is it like, it, would you think it was wrong that you'd be like, listen, we're at a high level event, you know, this is, I'm on the same boat as you. Um, and like, I know people are very, have, very very strong opinions about this um i personally wish that there was no discretion involved i i personally let almost everyone take almost everything back uh now if it's something like flying off a board or you know i moved all my ships and they're like oh you know what it would be a lot better for me if i did this maneuver instead of the one i did like i'm not gonna let them take that back right but uh, I mean, oftentimes, you know, early in a game, someone will be like, crap, my dial slipped. Okay, obviously, you know, fix it to, to sure. what it's supposed to be, stuff like that. Like, I, I always let them take it back because the the game, for some reason, gives me the discretion to do that. And, uh, you know, I as a, a fellow competitor to someone, I, I don't want to win by being a dick. Um, but with that being said, right, okay, I, so I, I don't I mean, ask for I mean, take backs myself, usually. It's not... I think like it's not question. being a dick to like you can holding them to like the highest standard is not being a dick. That's fine. I mean, it's just you. It's just playing the way you want to play. It's fine. So let me ask you a question then. Like, okay, you uh, move one of your ships, and um, it, it might not have that much impact on the game or anything, but uh, you move one of your ships, and it your opponent then starts moving one of their ships and it's kind of like, you know, oh, they flew off the table, like, but you already moved. Is it something that you'd be like, okay, well, you, now you can change the dial. I mean, like, unless it's, like, obviously supposed to be the other way. I, I mean, like, they're, like, the kind of things that it's, like, if it was, like, you know, oh, I meant to make the one left instead of the one hard, like, obviously. But, I mean, like, it comes with, like, a very fine line, I also think. It does, and part of my, my problem here might be, and no one's going to be surprised to hear it, I fly high-initiative ships with big bids, so generally their ships are moving before mine. So, like, they don't have any new information from me. It's just like, oh, yeah. like this, this was not the move that I meant to do here. And it's like, okay, well, you haven't learned anything. Sure, do that, that move. I think if I've already moved, I would treat that differently because there's no way for me to know if they're telling the truth or not. Right, I assume that that people are right. telling the truth, but if it's before I moved and they didn't they didn't learn anything, there's a chance that they're they're not telling the truth. But I think it's unlikely that someone is going to take it to that level, right? And and here I'm falling right into that trap, right? You know, I'm gonna, I was going to say I I think it's unlikely someone's taking it so seriously. And literally the end of this Facebook post I was talking about was saying, why don't we not say don't take this so seriously? Let's instead say be kind even when the pressure's on. Right, so I'm falling into that trap myself right there that I'm I'm trying to, to discuss here by talking about, you know, is someone gonna take it serious enough to cheat? And, you know, who who knows? Um it's it's kind of a, a tough balance, I think, between um 
like I want to take this seriously. I want to do my best. I want you to do your best, and I want the winner to to be the person who actually deserves it. And uh, you know, also I'm you know I don't want to make this an uncomfortable hour and fifteen minutes for me standing across from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's hard. I mean, and, and like I get it. Like you aren't up there for an hour and fifteen minutes. Like you're tired. You are exhausted, but like, like I said, at some of these tournaments, like, I mean, it, it, it is what people live for, and I, I mean, this is their time to get away, and it's kind of like, maybe they, you know, I, I don't know anyone personally that would do this, but like, maybe they do train physically to make sure that they can stand for 10, 12, 13 hours on end. Um so that they are ready and on top of their tunes and everything like that. I don't know. Um, but it, it, it's kind of like, I, I'm almost curious to see what like other games take on, is on this and, and how it would really um, affect the game there. But I, I feel like once you hit a certain level, I mean, I, I really kind of think that like, it, it should be this like, the epitome of gaming of like this um Me. and like i wouldn't say that like there's like needs to be like a judge at every table or anything but like i also feel like like chance like you said like you live for like the competitive x-wing scene and it's like um when you have a big mesh of players that might not be on the same page as you it might draw a problem but i mean I feel like maybe that's what the idea of cut is and everything, you know? The one thing I... I, I go ahead. Sorry. One thing I actually wanted to pose as just a general question is with, with AMG having, you know, taken over X-Wing and everything, so they do, um like, scenarios and and narrative events and different things with MCP, Marvel Crisis Protocol. Do you think that's something, if they implemented that in X-Wing in a more consistent and and thought out way do you think that might solve part of the problem because you would have a a different kind of game of x-wing for people that don't want to just build meta lists and and you know play super hard they just want to play a fun version of x-wing there's a game for them and i'm not trying to separate i'm not trying to say that they can't or shouldn't play in tournaments but if there's people doing that and they're maybe not having fun um playing against someone who's maybe there like in it to win it um do you think like narrative events or, or scenarios or something like that would maybe solve part of the problem so i think that confuses there's a different axes of competitiveness does not necessarily equal casual or the casual yeah. competitive axis is different from the fly casual to strict adherence of the rule spectrum they're like two separate things. Yeah, you know I what I mean. I agree with that. So, like, because you can have people who like uh, will say, "All right." So, I can recall like watching like crate tape and or and listening to like Travis Johnson saying, "Hey, take that!" Like, yes, of course you should be allowed to take that back because obviously they didn't mean to do that, you know. And then so he's a super competitive player, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have people who are super competitive, or like that Jeff Burling example. But then you have just as many super competitive players who would be like, no, we're going to play a clean game. Like, do you, 
Yoon will say, we sat down, we agreed to play a complete ga- uh, clean game, stick to the rules, you know? I mean, so I think there was an instance access. There was an instance at Worlds on stream of one of Ollie's matches where he literally forgot to decloak his Whisper, uh, and his opponent had already moved one of his ships, and Ollie, you know, went, at, Ollie said to him, if you don't want to let me do it, I won't do it, and the guy literally said, there's really, there's literally no reason you wouldn't decloak, just do it. I'm not giving you really any information that would have changed your maneuver, and that was at Worlds? And like top 16 or top 32, I just watched the match a couple days ago because I watch way too much X-Wing. Um, but I mean, that just goes to show even on a top tier event like that, I, I, there's definitely a time and a place for it. I don't, like you've already said, um, if you've moved all your ships and someone goes, oh, I actually, can I change my action? That's, that's a different story after yeah. you've given them no, yeah, yeah. complete uh, information. Absolutely. But for, okay, for so instances me... where it, 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 in any other scenario, you know they would do X, I, I, I never have a problem personally with letting people take stuff back. Especially, like you said, sometimes you're at a store and it's super hot and it's three, you're in the third or fourth round, you're sweating, and you just slip up because you know, you're, you're, you're just trying to stay hydrated and have fun playing X-Wing. You know, All right, so, so. Let, me, let me ask you guys this question. Um, you are at a final, you are the judge at a final table. Now, let's say that happens. Let's say um, your opponent, or the, the player A moves a ship. Player B says, oh no, I forgot to decloak. Um, now, they both look to the judge on a ruling. If you are... If I'm judge, the judge, what are you saying? 100%, you did not decloak. It is, he did not decloak. Yeah. The, the whole point yeah. of having a judge is that they're the bad guy, not the player. Like, I, honestly, yep. with that Ollie thing, I don't... It, as soon as you ask your opponent, can I do this, you're putting them in that awkward position where, you know, there's a social stigma almost against saying no. So I, I think as a... I, I know as a judge, I would 100% say, nope, sorry, that's that's missed. Um. Now, yeah. I, I have had not, or situations where I'm on stream and there's, you know, the stream table judge right there. And <laughs> I am what not... the stream table judge as the chat? No, no. <laughs> I'm like, hey, hey, you didn't do this. This <laughs> right, happened like, to me a couple of times. Yeah, but like I didn't decloak <laughs> as quickly or, or cloak as quickly as I, I did. And what he said was, if you want to cloak, now's your chance to do it. If you don't do it right now, you're not going to get to cloak. Um uh. Right. And and that was and, and I was like, oh, yeah, thank you. I I was forgetting. Obviously, I was going to cloak there. I didn't view that. As, I mean, that was the judge saying it. I didn't view that as a, a bad thing. My opponent wasn't like, oh, my God, I can't believe you reminded him. I wanted to to play gotcha X-Wing and have him forget to cloak there. Uh, so that's a different thing, I think. But uh, sure. if I had forgotten to decloak in that situation, the judge should hopefully have never let me do that. Right. Uh, and I guess that's what it kind of comes down to. Like, yeah, obviously the judge is going to be the bad guy. But, I mean, that that comes to my point that, like, should you be playing every game that, like, a judge is watching? You know? And it's, it's I mean, obviously, I think the social stigma is that, like, almost everyone would be like, yes, you can do that. Or, um, I shouldn't say it like that. I know that probably sounds a little, like, uh uh disappointing but like uh, i i when i play my games that's how i kind of feel like is that like i'm playing every game like the judges watch um 
So I hope they're not watching me change my dialogue. No, I'm just joking. Um, but why don't we close out this topic? And why don't we talk about new things? Anything wait, wait, else you do before, want to add before we do move? I, I want to just give a shout out to the the person who made the post. It was Sam Crosby, and I just I, I thought it was a really insightful post. I enjoyed reading it. I enjoyed reading the comments. Um, and it was nice to hear someone say the things that I think most of us competitive X-Wing players have thought at a, you know, a certain time, mostly that, you know, hey, this is actually kind of important to me. Uh, it was nice to see that be the topic of a discussion. So I, I want to thank him for making that post. Cool, cool. All right. Anything else before we move on to the FO spoils? All right. Uh, get a chance. I know you're like... Settling in your chair, like squealing away, ready for this. <laughs> yeah, we finally, finally got pretty much all the pilots for the Tie Whisper and some other goodies too. Uh, so we'll just start it off right at the top. So first we have um Wrath in the Tie Whisper is uh, the initiative, the other initiative five pilot that isn't Kylo Ren, uh, and his ability is after you perform a bullseye attack. If you have one or more non-lock red or orange tokens, you may perform a bonus attack against a different target. Uh, so I read that, and I went, cool. His pilot ability is that he's initiative five, and then sometimes this will trigger. Um, it's, a, it's a cool ability, and it's not bad. There's no real like detriment to it happening, unlike with um, what's-his-face in the, the E-Wing, where you have to take a disarm to do it or whatever. So when it happens, cool, but it's not one of those ones where it's worth trying to purposely set this up and, you know, maybe barrel roll, because then you're taking two non-modified shots versus one modified shot, and so on. Um, so cool, cool ship, but really it's mostly that it's I-5. Um, now the other, oh, one of the other ones that I'm more excited Horn, for. His name is Horn, for the record. Thank you. And I he's don't remember kind of a big scum. deal. Not anymore. Um, so the next one is uh, Initiative 4 Nightfall, uh, which reads, after you fully execute a maneuver or perform a boost action, each ship you moved through gains two jam tokens. So this Whisper can jam without even having the sensor jamming suite. He can still take it and also then proceed to jam a ship after his maneuver. Um, but there's a lot of potential here, uh, especially at that I-4 initiative. Uh, I think it kind of kind of works both ways, right? He can ace over lower initiative ships, kind of, you know, instead of getting bumped, just fly straight over them, jam them and then rotate his turret backwards and still take a shot at them, and also set up your other ships for shots because you just jammed everything you just flew over. Um, now, from what I read, you do need to be kind of careful because you can end up jamming your own ships with this. Um, so with this ship, it'll be very important to make sure you actually put templates down uh, to make sure you know exactly what ships you're maneuvering over and not just use like the side-to-side -side method or anything uh like that but uh i'm very interested in nightfall so, uh and then how often oh, do you go think ahead something like this will trigger right because it's kind of similar to starboard slash and in my experience that triggers maybe like once a game like you're just not oftentimes getting an opportunity to 
to fly through a ship. So, true, one of the big differences I see with the Whisper versus the RZ-2 is, one, when the Whisper rotates, it's not stressing itself, right? So that opens up you still to have uh, one hard turns afterwards, where the RZ-2 generally has to fly past, rotate, and then spend a couple turns de-stressing and coming back around. This will be able to turn tighter back around. At least how it's kind of how I'm looking at it. So that's true. Um, you're not gonna you're not gonna use this ability with a one hard. Oh no! But I mean, you're gonna fly over a ship, and then after the turn where you fly over them, and then let's say focus rotate or barrel roll, roll whatever the turn after that, you still have your one hard available then. Uh, after that versus a two hard, which I know that might not sound like a lot, but I think you and I have both agreed that the one hard is probably the best maneuver in this game. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, really good, but it's just, if you're just, like, because you're going to one hard and you're going to have to one hard again. Like, I'm just not seeing a yeah. ton of opportunity where you're actually going to be going fast enough where you might fly through a ship. Um, I mean, you you might be right. The I will th say I do think again in uh versus the rz2 i think the whisper is gonna need to maybe be able to fly a little bit differently than the rc2 because it doesn't natively have that third evade die to hide behind it does have one more health but those two green dice means it could burn down a lot quicker so i think it might need to rely on its its turret a little bit more than the rz2s do really um that's kind of how I'm. You're you're probably right, and this might might maybe come up once a game, but also if you set it up with it being initiative four, he's at that perfect initiative to be able to pull this off against your opponent's aces, like purposefully, right? Um, and because what is starboard? Starboard's a, a deplete, isn't it? Uh, strain, I think. Strain, strain, and also starboard, uh, has a potential negative to it which i mean this technically does as well but at that initiative four i just you could I, I see this using it to set up potentially for your other ships sure nightfall might not get a shot but two jam tokens on the opponents you know uh soon tier or it pretty much anyone that doesn't have force is really big because it's almost impossible for them to be able to clear both those jams even if they already have a target lock out there Unless they have some way to get coordinated or or, or token stack. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I think what I like most about this, you know, like when you do that maneuver and like you're just like crap. I thought maybe we were gonna bump, and now we are just like face to face, nub to nub. But you can still do the boost over, like that. Yeah. Again. I think that's where it's gonna be the best, right? Because you do the boost over them, you give them two jam tokens, you rotate to the back, and then you're like, all right, cool, my ability worked this time. But I I don't <laughs> think like the actual maneuver part's gonna going to do too much except for maybe one like get out of town maneuver give two jam tokens rotate behind you and and then maybe there's enough time to come around for another good pass or so um but it's it's not a bad ability i just don't think it's going to be triggering a ton yeah and then and i will say it right now and we'll, this could potentially change when the points cost come around i think i4 is in a pretty strong place right now with all the you know, discipline lists and the five ship resistance and a lot of that, there's a lot of I3 and like I2 around. 
So I four I think has gotten a little bit stronger in that in that moving second uh, uh, capacity, um, at least with how things are right now. Um, but moving on to the uh, next pilot is a very unique one with Whirlwind, which reads: Before you engage, you may remove any number of jam tokens. Then you may gain one focus token for each enemy ship that has you in its front arc. Uh, now, if Brett, if you would like to go over exactly why this is so interesting. All right, well, part of it is because there's not really a clear rule to answer here. Um, but the clause is that you may remove any number of jam tokens, then you may gain one focus token, seem to be independent of each other. So it is possible that you... Do not have to remove any jam tokens from yourself, and you can instead just gain a focus token for each enemy ship that has you in its its front arc. If that's the case, then you can just uh, you know fly on up here, take an evade token, and when it's your turn to engage, you know maybe get one or two focus tokens that you're able to then use uh, to to actually put some some punch in your attack. Uh, if you you take something like. Um, uh, well, I guess you probably. Well, I was thinking you're probably taking the jamming suite, so you're probably not taking it. But if you do have advanced optics, for instance, uh, then you're almost guaranteeing yourself uh, two hits on a two die attack. Um, it's probably still not going to be what you're going to take because you're probably going to take the advanced jamming suite um, to potentially give out those jam tokens. But either way, it's it's pretty cool. And even if it doesn't work that way, your worst case scenario is that you jam yourself to give yourself a third die. Um, with the advanced jamming suite, and then um, once it's your turn, you remove all your your jam tokens and get your focus tokens to to try and hit back. So that would kind of you know be a, a mod on on defense and then a a mod on offense. So you know uh, it's it's got some possibilities. It's i three. It's probably honestly not going to be anything game changing. It's the but it, it does seem fun. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, so that's all of the, the pilots for the Whisper Spoiled. So we did get a couple other things. So one is a new gunner for the First Order, uh, DT-798, which is at the start of the engagement phase, you may choose a friendly ship in your firing range. If you do, that ship gains a strain token. Uh, then separately, while you perform an attack, you may reroll up to one die for each ship in the attack arc with one or more non-lock red or orange tokens. Um, now I think this is definitely just with everything very cost dependent, but, uh, this is a pretty good gunner card because that includes everything from stress to strain, deplete, everything. So you don't really, that, that first part could be nice in an instance where you know you can give a strain to a friendly ship that is in your arc, but isn't going to be getting shot to give yourself a reroll. But I think you'll natively just be getting rerolls from uh, tokens, and of course, with all the jam with these whispers uh, that I'll be putting down, uh, you'll get rerolls from that as well. Yeah, and this is—I mean, almost certainly just going to go straight on the the bombers, right? Like, I yeah, I, I can't see why this would necessarily better be better than SF Gunner for the Tie SF. So I think this is just a bomber only upgrade essentially basically yeah um and then the last card for the first order pack is a very i actually really want to get this one on the table it is a sensor scramblers so this is a tech slot so you cannot take this with the jamming suite 
because that takes your config and your text slot. Um, and then this goes on either the whisper or the tie silencer. Uh, so set up, you gain one cloak token. While you are cloaked, other ships cannot acquire locks on you. Aha, uh, E-Wings. Um, during the end phase, if you are cloaked and there is an enemy ship at range 0 to 3, you must decloak. If you do and that decloak fails, lose one cloak token. So you can't cheekily, purposely fail a decloak and keep your cloak token. If there's a ship 0 to 3, you are losing your cloak token one way or another. Um, so I'm not interested at all on this, on the TIE Whisper, personally, because that jamming suite is just so crazy. But on the silencer, I actually kind of like this um, for helping get some one, especially with ships like Jedi and whatnot. Uh, that first round, you don't have to worry about getting target locked potentially. Uh, and then if you do, or not if you do, but if they're in range zero to three, you can then decloak and potentially get out of a position where you would be getting caught, right? can almost set yourself up behind a rock when you know the opponent's going to come in kind of like how phantoms do and then systems phase next turn decide which way around the rock you want to go um so i think on the silencer this has some potential i don't have any interest on this on the whisper though so the the timing here just is not great in any situation though right like you said that first round you don't need to worry about the Jedi getting target locks on you. But if they'd be able to get a target lock on you, then they're probably also going to be able to shoot you. And you're not going to be able to shoot them because you're cloaked. Um, True. And then your decloak happens at the end phase. So they already know exactly where you're going to be when they're planning their next set of maneuvers. Like, I, I kind of wish it said just during the system phase, if you're cloaked, blah, 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 then you must decloak. Um, I think that... Uh, giving or having it be at the end phase, it's kind of like the uh, the Star Viper. You know, you can do that red boost in the end phase. Well, no one does it in part because it's red, and also because it, then it's it's just so easy to plan around. So, so here's a question: When it comes to decloaking, can what in order to decloak, do you normally do that in the systems phase? Do you choose to decloak? Yes, can and, still and you decloak. can still do that here. Okay. Yeah. So that's where I like this the most is just trying to set up a cool, funky first engagement, right? Maybe it's by doing like an 11 forward with Kylo um, or, uh, you know, getting into a different position around a gas cloud than you otherwise would be able to do. But I don't I think if you're ever having to use this, you must decloak ability. You may have done things wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah. Definitely. Like I said, it's 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 interesting, and I'm excited to try it and just see how it works uh, on the silencer. Because, like you said, that 11-4 with Kylo one just sounds fun. Um, but I I do just kind of want to see how it feels on a ship like the silencer, which definitely moves very differently with how we're used to flying phantoms and whatnot. Um, so you kind of have to think about, one, obviously, because of the must-decloak thing, but two, just because of how the ship itself operates, kind of have to, to think about the decloaking a little bit differently than you would with a, a, a TIE Phantom. You know what this this definitely is, though? is an E-Wing nerf. Yes. E-Wings are just too powerful, apparently. 
Um, this has got to be cheap though, right? Like, honestly, if it's more than one point, I, I don't know if I would even take it. Yeah. Maybe two, but certainly not more than two. Uh, I also will say this, this also gets sort of around false transponder codes. Um, because that's been very prevalent in a lot of lists right now with scum. Uh, so that same thing, that first turn, they might get the drop on you, target lock you, jam away your your focus or whatever. This does prevent that the first turn, so it helps you kind of... I think in a bad scenario, it help, It might help you kind of get the engagement back into what you want. Because if you do get shot, right, on the silencer, you're rolling minimum of five dice. Uh, potentially six if it's range three, uh, and on the silencer four to five, or the the whisper. Um, so I think in a in a scenario where opponent might take you by surprise, this might help you kind of salvage and engage by being both being able to decloak, not being able to get locked, uh, and having the extra dice on defense. But I I do agree if this if this isn't cheap, it's probably just going to get completely disregarded. So that's everything I, I had for first order. <laughs> um, uh, personally, uh, I think all this stuff is really cool. Um, I've always been an FO player, so you know I'm excited to put this stuff on the table. <laughs> it, it, it's giving a, a nice little freshness that um, I feel like the identity faction was lacking. Um, it's going to be really interesting. I know one of the things I was talking about with Brian was like. I'm a little worried these things are just going to die. Like, I, I think they're really cool. I definitely think that Nightfall is the um, probably the winner in this. Um, I expect them to probably be a, a good amount of points, um, but I almost think that they're that they're going to be very hard to um, keep alive. Um, I feel like they're going to be hard targets. I mean, they do they are kind of healthy, so um, it might not be that quick that they die but i i don't know um they're not three dice tyrants i know you can up it to three dice but i mean i also think that uh it's it's going to be interesting to see how these things turn out um i, I think there's going to be there's a lot of math behind these things that is going to get worked out so we'll see but um uh, at first glance, and you know what, I'm always wrong when I come to my predictions, so they're probably going to be one of the best things in the game. I um, just, I just feel like it's kind of like, hey, here's a new ship for Kylo, and here's this other crap we have to to throw in there because uh, we couldn't just give you Kylo. I mean, that's the best thing about like the Imperial factions is that they can literally just be like, we're going to make up names like. Nightfall and crit draw, and that's all we need. Like, it, it, it's super convenient. That that that's it's good for the game. Too. They do get to just make up whatever the hell they want. Um, I mean, I I wonder how important the bullseye is going to be because you're going to have to pay more to get that three die bullseye than, uh, like the RZ twos have to pay for their two die turret. And I'm wondering if that's going to be a a liability almost because you're might not be using it very often. I mean, how often do you use the bullseye? I know it's not exactly the same, but how often do you use the bullseye on the Jedi? Very often. But they also don't have a way to shoot out the back. 
And a reposition, double reposition. And a double reposition. Like, right? and, yeah, and so uh, it's just... I was, well, I was more referring to the Edda, which I guess technically yeah. has a double reposition, but the main thing, I guess, is that the Jedi can reposition and still have mods, whereas this does not have that ability. Right, unless it's in Kylo. Which kind of makes it similar to the or defensive mod, which makes it kind of similar to the uh, the uh, Ty Baron, like Von Reg and whatnot. Because same thing there, they they can only barrel roll and keep a, a focus or an evade. They don't have a way to boost and focus and evade. And anyone that flies aces and arc dodgers knows that the boost is probably your best tool for staying out of arcs and and uh evading shots so not having boost and focus or evade could be kind of dangerous yeah i don't know it's i like i said i just worry that they're gonna really underperform but yeah regardless i'm i'm excited to at least get them on the table and and try them yeah because it'll i agree It'll definitely open up a little bit of list building, especially because I'm assuming that that Kylo has to be cheaper than the Kylo and the Silencer just because of the Silencer chassis. Yes. Um, it, it just has to be. Uh, so it'll open up a lot of list building for FO because you still be able to bring Kylo, but you're gonna have a lot more room for for toys, which is something that FO's always kind of struggled with. Actually, is so having room. So we do know already that he's gonna cost less than. I don't remember if it was 66 or 67 points. Um, I think it was 66. So we know he's going to be at least 10 points cheaper than Silence or Kylo. Yeah. And that's a lot of points for a faction that always had to count up to 200 because there was just no room for anything. Okay. Um, any other things that we want to address real quick or any other shout-outs you guys want to talk about? Um, just the, the regular shout-out that the East Coast Gamers monthly <laughs> event is coming up. Uh, it's on the 28th. Uh, I think they are sold out, but uh, there's always a wait list, and last time it was like number five or six on the wait list who got in, so uh, if anyone wants a good-sized local event, uh, you know, check that one out. Jonathan, did you have a shout-out? I'd like to shout out the Scum and Villainy podcast. They're one of the three OG podcasts, and they just released their first episode in like a year plus, or maybe longer. Nice. I haven't listened to it yet. Go check them out. All right. Uh, well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Um, I want to thank everyone for joining us, and thank you for listening. Uh, check us out on Facebook. Uh, you can jump into our Discord from there and everything like that. Uh, things are definitely starting to ramp up, so hopefully that um, this is all going to subside soon and, uh, you know, we get back to normal. But um, I know some local game stores are starting in person gaming again, and obviously there's something that's happening all around. Uh, so just keep your eyes posted, and, you know, we will have some news as far as different tournaments coming up and everything like that. So, um, but yeah, yeah, East Coast Gamers is definitely the big one that is uh, happening, and they're very Red Caps has been uh, hosting eight-person tournaments. I believe there's one coming up on the 21st. So, uh, right. that I, I had that in my mind to say, and I, uh, I failed yeah. at my job. So, yes, also the one on the 21st. Uh, and so, but you have to register for as well, I think. Right. Right. Um, but on that note, I want to thank everyone for listening and have a
great night.